The reading is taken from Joel. If you're, if you're the Church Bible, then it's page 912. The word of the Lord came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. A nation has invaded my land, a mighty army, army without number. It has the teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. Mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the betrothed of her youth. Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests are in mourning, those who minister before the Lord. The fields are ruined, the ground is dried up, the grain is destroyed, the new wine is dried up, the olive oil fails. Despair, you farmers, wail, you vine growers, grieve for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely the people's joy is withered away. Put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. For the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Has not the food been cut off before our very eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seeds are shriveled beneath the clods. The storehouses are in ruins. The granaries have been broken down, for the grain has dried up. How the cattle moan. The herds mill about because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of the sheep are suffering. To you, Lord, I call. For fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness, and flames have burned up all the trees of the field. Even the wild animals pant for you. The streams of water have dried up, 
and fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness. Thank you, Judith. Good morning, everybody. Now, it's a a great um, sort of pub debate, isn't it? You can sit with your friends in the pub or at home and and you discuss, what are the the most significant days in history? And someone says, oh, it's the the day the wheels invented, the the, the printing press, and you can go on and you've always got that one friend who will say, it was the day I was born. But what is the most significant day? Well, for the Christian... uh, the most significant day is not in the past, but in the future. The most significant day for the Christian is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. And that day is what consumes this whole book of Job. We're going to see time and time again, we're going to circle around through it as we move through its chapters. The day of the Lord. So with that in mind, let's pray uh, as we start. Father, we thank you for your words. And we pray this morning as we look at this uh, part of your scriptures, uh, perhaps uh, less known to, to many of us. Father, we pray that, that you would help us not simply to understand what Joel is writing, but to feel it. Uh, to feel its message, to feel its power. And to see its importance for our lives today. Amen. So who was Joel then? Who is this prophet? Well, the short answer is we don't really know. (laughs) Now, there are lots of people who speculate and say we think it's this person or this person. But we don't really know exactly uh, who he was. In fact, we only really know two things about him. We know that his father is called Pethuel. And we know that he's someone who is familiar with the temple. As we read through the whole book, we see that he sort of understands how the temple works. But we don't really know exactly who he was. So if we don't know who he is, well, well, maybe we know when it was written. But we don't really know that either. Uh, Now, there are some guesses to say, well, we think it's here and we think it's here. And we can look for clues. So, uh, for example, because he's familiar with the temple, that it's likely that the temple was functioning in some fun- in some way. Uh, and interestingly, there's no mention of any kings. So, for example, if you were just to, in your Bible, just flick two pages uh, ahead to the start of Amos, uh, you'd read this. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah the king of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Joash, was king of Israel. Lots of the prophets link themselves to the king to to mark them as a particular historical point. But we don't get that in Joel at all. We have nothing. But that's okay. That's okay. In fact, maybe in the Lord's providence, it's helpful that it sits sort of outside of a history. So that these words could be used by God's people as a reflection, as a, as a lament, as a help, as we consider this important topic. Because really all we do have, all we rather need is in verse one. The word of the Lord came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. At any time you see a name in the Bible, 
especially the Old Testament, it's really important and helpful to look up what that name means. Like my name, Benjamin, means son of the right hand. Uh, The name Joel means Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. And Pephiel, straightforwardness of God. Uh, So straight off in verse 1, you might say the summary is all there. Uh, Verse 1 is the, the simple message, the straightforward message that Yahweh is God. Yahweh, uh, God's special name from Exodus 3. I am who I am. God's covenant name. Whenever you see the word Lord in capital letters, it's that special Yahweh name. The book is the simple message that the Lord is king. And that's what we're going to see as we move through this whole book. But what's this first chapter uh, getting at? Well, firstly, from verses 2 to 12, well, two to twelve, sorry, it's remember the locusts and remember the devastation. There are certain events, aren't there, in our, our minds that we, we remember instinctively. Sometimes they're very personal, our particular birthday, getting married or whatever it might be. But there are also those sort of national big events where we all remember. So, for example, some may remember where they were when the, the first man stepped on the moon. Or the 1966 World Cup final, or, or the Super Saturday in the Olympics from 2012. I was going to add the European Championships, but um, we'll forget about that one. Um, those are positive ones, aren't they? But there's also the, the negative as well. Now, maybe you remember the hurricane of 1987. The, the death of Princess Diana. September the 11th. Or March 21st, 2020. When Boris made that announcement about the first lockdown. Uh, Events that stick in our heads. Events to remember. Uh, And here, Joel is saying there's an event coming that you're going to remember. Verse 2. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. And what's this event going to be? What real historical event is it? Verse 4. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. There's going to be a great locust swarm that's going to come. Now that's not totally uncommon in that land. But this one particularly is going to seem to be particularly devastating. But I don't know about you, but I, I, I hear locust swarm and I find it very hard to sort of imagine what that can be like. My own experience of locusts were in a little jar in my biology class at secondary school. So I did a bit of digging up to find out well, what would happen. What, what are kind of the, the statistics of a locust swarm? Uh, and they're just amazing. So, for example, did you know that, that if a locust has uh, eggs in June, do you know how many living relations they could have by October? 18 million. A, a locust swarm could be uh, 460 square miles. So, so just to help you, uh, there it is, the red square. It's most of West Sussex. 
that sort of locust swarm could have 80 million locusts in it. Uh, and that swarm can consume enough food in one day for up to 35,000 people. And to put it into context, at this time, Jerusalem as a city was estimated to have between 40 to 50,000 people. So in two days, the swarm would wipe out the whole food supply of a city. Everything would be stripped bare. There'd be nothing left. Nothing's growing. It's all gone. It's a real disaster. I've been trying to sort of imagine well, what would be the equivalent for us and it's a poor example really but it, it's imagining that every single shop we go to Waitrose, Sainsbury's, the Tesco up the road even the garage shop has absolutely nothing on its shelves it's empty uh, and of course all, all the energy fails so our fridge freezers that so conveniently store things won't be having anything either It makes the problems that we saw from a year ago when we can only buy two bags of pasta seem like an abundance. There's no hope. It's an event they're going to remember. It's an event they're to tell all about, to say, do you remember this day? It's an event that's going to uh, impact all people. It's going to impact uh, verses five to seven, the drunkards. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. All the grapes have been eaten. Uh, those who, are, who usually indulge in their grapes and who spend most of their time sleeping, well, they can't. There's nothing to drink. Uh, they've got to wake up and wail and weep at the devastation they see. Uh, verses 8 to 9, uh, the priests mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the betrothed of her youth. Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests are in mourning, those who minister before the Lord. Offerings that that bring joy, bring gladness, can't be made because there's no grain anywhere. So the priests mourn. And the farmers, verses 10 to 12, their fields are ruined, the ground is dried up, the grain is destroyed, the new wine is dried up, the olive oil fails. Despair, you farmers. Wail, you vine growers. Grieve for the wheat and barley. Because the harvest of the field is destroyed. But the basics of their, their, their system, their agricultural system, that the grain, the grapes and the oil are just gone. Their bread, butter and tea are no more. It's all gone. The people need to remember the locusts and remember the devastation. There's nothing that can be done. So, verses 13 and 14, weep, wail, and cry out to the Lord. Put on sackcloth, you priests. Mourn, wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. For the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to God the Lord. Joel says the priests will put on sackcloth. They're going to show their mourning, show their state. 
There's nothing they can do. They're going to need to cry out to the Lord. Indeed, they need to call all the people, call the elders, the leaders, call all people to a fast, call them to call out to the Lord. There's no escape. There's nothing that can be done. No solution can be found. All they can do is cry out to the Lord. Joel saying, look, remember the locusts. Remember the devastation. Remember that the priests who need to call out and cry out. Weep and wail. There's nothing that can be done. But why does Joel point us to this day? Why does he want to say say this is coming? Well, it's because the most significant day in history is ahead. The day of the Lord. From 15 to 20. Verse 15. Alas for that day. Alas. That word alas is is like someone being punched in the stomach. It's kind of a... (gasps) Words which will bring pain and and challenge. Joel is saying, look, this, this, this real historical event of the locust that's going to happen, this historical event that's bringing de- devastation, pain, hardship, that, that's nothing. Nothing compared to what lies ahead. Joel uses a, a real historical event to point us forward to a real eschatological historical event. That word eschatological uh, means end times. It means when the Lord returns, it's pointing to the future. He points to a historical event in their near future to show a historical event in the future. And he says, you think that was bad? You've not seen anything yet. Verse 16, no food. Verse 17, no seeds. Verse 18, nowhere for the cattle to go. Verse 19, uh, the land as if it is, it lies as if it's been scorched. Verse 20, there is nothing. The day of the Lord, the, the day when the Lord returns will be a terrible day. At the day when the Lord brings judgment and calls all to account, there is no escaping. There will be no fight. There will be no battle. It will just be a word. The day of the Lord, the day the Lord returns. As I said, we're going to circle through this a few times. And as Phil said, there is hope coming. As we look forward in the book of Joel. But for us today... What might it mean for us to live with that day in view? What might it mean to live today with that day, the day of the Lord, in mind? Now, we all live, don't we, uh, with days in mind. Sometimes we just live with the weekend in mind, going to Friday. Uh, sometimes it's looking ahead to a holiday in a few weeks or months. Uh, sometimes it might be a point getting married or a new baby coming. Uh, to starting school, to starting a job, to retiring. Uh, We all look with a day in mind. Uh, And Joel is calling us to say, well, no, for you, brothers and sisters, look look with that day in mind, the day of the Lord. Uh, What will it mean to live light in light of that day? Uh, 
And it must be the first thing we must say is, are we ready for that day? If the Lord were to turn tomorrow, are we ready? Are we ready to meet God? That's the first question we must ask for ourselves. And as we've said already through the service and the creed, we're only ready by being made ready through the person of the Lord Jesus who lived, died and rose again. Are we ready? But if we are those that, that, that are ready to see God, well, what difference does it make today? Now, life is far too complicated and our lives are far too different for me to stand here and say, well, here are five things that we all should do. But be honest. Do we live with that day in mind? Do we live as if the Lord returned to tomorrow? I mean, how might that change how we approach our work? How we approach our prayer life? How we approach just life in general, knowing that actually there are really no private moments. What would it mean to live in light of that day? What would it mean, verse 19, to call out to God in light of that day? Joel's calling the people to remember. He's saying, remember, you need to remember this day because it helps you to look forward to that day. And therefore live differently. And we are people who are even more privileged because we can see the whole story. We can see the whole counsel of God. We can see how the Lord Jesus came, lived and died and rose. So we can have even greater assurance, not simply in a locust storm, but in the very son of God, that that day will happen and come. So what will it mean to live differently today in light of that day? It's very easy, I know, to hear words like this, to to nod and think, yes, that is true. And then for Monday to come and be completely unaffected. That's me too often. So how can we put this day before our eyes each day? Maybe praying, Lord's. Help me to live with that day in view. I do that every single day. I need to do that every single day because my heart is forgets. Maybe it could be writing something. I don't know. Maybe it could be texting somebody. But what will it mean for us to put that day before our eyes? To live with that day in view. Joel says, remember the locusts. Remember the devastation. Remember, it points you forward to that day. And so today... Let's live differently with that day in view. Let's each take a moment of quiet just on our own to reflect and to pray. Father, we pray that just as the the Israelites felt that locust swarm and its effects. Lord, Father, we pray you'd help us to feel that burden of, of your day of the Lord. 
so that we might live differently. Not to be proud, but to hold out the words of life to a world that needs it. To point away from ourselves to a great God who is there, who is the king, who's the judge, but is also the saviour of the world. Help us to live differently, we pray. Amen.